Hey everyone, Dan Lovai here and welcome to the New Nut Podcast, the podcast where we talk to interesting people doing interesting things in and around PNG. Our guest for today is an old friend of mine and also an old friend of the show, if you remember correctly. He was actually our second guest on the New Nut Podcast, so it's been a long time coming. Please make a warm welcome back to Andrew Kuliniasi. Hi, hello. I didn't know I was your second guest. That's actually pretty cool. Sorry. I was actually, yeah, I went back to check the recording just in preparation for this episode. I was trying to find where you were. I was scrolling, 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 and I went all the way to the bottom and I realized, oh, where? Andrew was wow. number two, so yeah. That's so great. But well, Andrew, how have you been? I've been very good, very busy. October is a very busy month for me. Goodness. Yes. So for those who don't know, my name is Andrew Kuliniasi. I am a creative artist uh, or what we would call a multidisciplinary artist or an interdisciplinary artist. Um, And I work in theater, fashion, um, and we do a lot of different things or I do a lot of different things. So I direct, write, produce. Um, I've creative directed for fashion shows and I also do casting and acting training and um, acting myself. So yeah, yay. It's nice having these skills (laughs) is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, there's one thing I've always noticed about you is that if you know Andrew for one thing, he's most likely doing something else creative with like in the other fields like you mentioned multidisciplinary is that the is that an official term i I think the official term is interdisciplinary artist that's that's the Uh official term when you you're an artist across the board um i can't paint (laughs) i can't draw so that's Mm -hmm. that's something people um knock me for but aside from that yeah Nah, I think that's just mean. Like, there's different kinds of artists. Not everyone is like multi, multi, multi. Yeah, so. yeah, that's true. That's oh, true. That makes sense. But Andrew, I remember the last time we interviewed you. Uh, he's Victor just got released as a book. Like, yes. he just got published. Yes. And I wanted to ask, what have you been up to since then? And I think that was 2021 around yeah. November. So, what have you been up to for the past two years? Oh, it's been very very busy um for the past two years it has just been about work um creating new png shows creating new um creating new avenues for actors um so one of the biggest things we did which was just this year was arts awareness month Mm -hmm. where we premiered my newest play letters from bradley um but also the three plays that i have written um he is a victor for my father which was premiered in 2022 and then um letters from bradley which premiered this year and so we had like three of my plays back to back to back in march um unfpa sponsored shout out to unfpa thank you very much um and yeah and since then it's just gotten busier and busier and busier i creative directed the paradise runway got an award for innovation and fashion um for the creative direction component of that uh, and just so so many more jobs and opportunities that have come my way that I've then been able to give opportunities to other artists. But I I like to say my my favorite thing that I'm doing now um, is I'm teaching and running the drama program up at Paradise High School. Oh. Um, and I just it's a it's sort of like an extracurricular activity, but I have basically year nine students who are all budding thespians and we put on a show so we put on a show this year mid-year the mid-year musical Mm -hmm. and now we're putting on their christmas musical and it's so fun 
working with young people because you're also sort of molding this next generation of artists and they're only in year nine so once they're in year 12 you can only imagine you know what they're going to be like if they continue and pursue that path and that's just very exciting for me man oh man that sounds so busy i'm, I'm really excited to see like you said those young new kids taking part now oh man and you said two musicals. Did you just say a Christmas musical? So yeah. they get to do two in one so year. So they get to do two in one year, which is nice. So we did the Midian musical, which is an original uh, musical written by Denzel Papal and myself. Denzel, who is one of my theater babies mm-hmm. as well. Um, he wrote the script and we came together to write the songs for the musical. And it was an original piece, but the kids were like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> and it was so cool. And... Yeah, and they're so they're so nice, and and the group, the drama club group, has increased in in numbers just from that one musical. So we'll have a lot more um, students in in the in the end of the year musical, the Christmas mm-hmm. musical. But that's looking to be fun as well. And I'm working again with Denzel uh, Papal to do the scripting, and and it's his script, and we just both yeah. collaborate together, and it's very nice. And it's nice. Because he, him as well, like he's a new writer and he's a new mm-hmm. um, artist on the scene. So getting those jobs where we can collaborate and work together, but also for his growth is amazing. Oh, man, that sounds awesome. Man. Now, before we rewind the clock, I didn't want to ask you, you have an upcoming show. Yes, I do. So um, Hope That Haunts You is my newest show. It's... Uh, it is a poetry in motion show. Mm-hmm. So what that is, is it's a combination of spoken word and dance. Um, and it will be on the 26th, 27th, and 28th of October. So there's only three, there's only four showings. There's one matinee on the Saturday, but there's only four showings of the show. Um, and Hope That Haunts You is just basically about what is scary about png <laughs> oh man that's such a ooh, that's such a deep yeah question not, not me so many... cackling like a witch right oh, no that's oh i know you can't say any spoilers but is uh, it... i could i could <laughs> it, 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 i don't think there's like so because it's a poetry in motion show it's very it's not like it's dance theater rather than uh, regular theater. And I've partnered with Dare to Create Dance Theater and mm-hmm. Nadia Paraskos. So she's the choreographer and uh, on the show. And the, we have the spoken word artists who are amazing. But what it is in, in terms of the show is there's two sections to the show. Mm-hmm. One section is basically about P&G scary stories and what are traditional mm-hmm. sort of customary uh scary stories or mythos that we have in our villages you know like the the small things like oh don't whistle in the night you know mm. and like all that stuff like even stuff like like um koboni and all those different stuff like those are all essentially png mythos or, or png scary stories mm-hmm. the ta- the tales we tell children in the night to make them go to sleep or eat their vegetables um eat their cow cows if you will right but that's one component and the next component is the social justice pieces where it looks at the actual horrors of living Uh. in png so there's four categories there is gender-based violence sorcery accusation related violence Mm -hmm. um crime crime amongst youth and 
alcohol and drug abuse and so those four um those four topics are covered but they're also like they're also described as monsters and we build those Mm -hmm. monsters on stage so that the people can see what those monsters look like so what what does gender-based violence look like look like yeah man oh no i like that approach yeah oh i'm very excited no i I honestly can't wait to see it now yeah Ah, yeah. so okay it's it's such a fun process because you're working with so many different artists not only dancers but Mm -hmm. the spoken word artists as well and i'm not writing it like i i'm not writing anything i'm just curating that that show in the sense that i coach the writers but uh, you know they're uh, all amazing writers in their own sense so i'm just like oh, i don't need to do anything man. Um, have there been instances where you had to uh pull the reins on them just a bit because some of them like the some of the stuff they may be writing may be a bit extreme or maybe like you know uh, i think it's about like okay so in the like sense not, of, not necessarily the topic it's yeah. just how they're presenting the topics yeah, yeah, I think it's 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 an interesting thing because listening to some of their poems or reading some of their poems, the the ones that are very cultural that that are very mm-hmm. culturally specific, I leave alone because no one will know their culture better than them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there are things that I could tweak, um, and say like, hey, maybe this word instead of that word. But it really is creative license for them to create. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with the social justice pieces, it's a bit more like it's a bit more curated because I have to also think about the artist that's creating the sculptures um, and he has to sort of get that poem look at that poem and go okay this is what I know this mm-hmm. sculpture should look like um, and it's it's a real collaborative effort and something that's really different from what I normally do mm. so coming up with a concept for it was really about sourcing the talent um, to execute the concept because that's something that I want to learn and I want to grow in but don't necessarily have all the skill set to do mm-hmm. and so partnering with people like Nadia Parascos who's a, an amazing choreographer partnering with all our different artists who are the dancers as well as the spoken word artists um, really gives them the creative empowerment to, to, to go and create and, and, and do the show um, and do their pieces in the way they, that they'd like to be done. Um, also, creating our sculptures um, is is a big task, and mm. it's like, oh, okay. And and I love Leonard Tabegato of Kanaka Creative, and he does all all he I he's he's my bestie. But also like. <laughs> I abuse him sometimes because like one week out I'll be like Leonard can you create something for me and he's like no Andrew we had this discussion before <laughs> um, but he's he's also on board for this production currently and it's it's such a nice difference because I think when you do traditional theater you wear the director hat and you're in control and, mm. and you know exactly what it is start to finish with this is a more devised type of performance where you you'll know what you're getting but only through collaboration, which is something that I'm really excited about. And I'm really excited for people to watch the show. Man. And now when, where, where about will this be happening, the show? So we're doing it at Uli Baya uh, UPNG Dance Studio. Okay. Yeah. And we, um, having been in that space before when I was in uni, 
um, oh, that was so long ago. Sorry. <laughs> um, but having been in that space before, um, it felt it felt very it felt very nice to be in that space. Some of our dancers are from uni mm. as well, um, or from UPNG Creative Arts, and and also being in a in a different space because I've done a lot of my shows at the Mosbiat Theatre, but now moving into um, doing independent theatre where. I'm paying for venues instead of partnering mm. with venues. Um, doing, finding alternative venues also forces me to create in a different way. The Mosbias Theatre has a very set stage where you, you, you know what mm. you're getting. Whereas with different venues, whether it be Apex House and, and I've done shows there, or whether it be you know like some even some like warehouse, you know, it's like how do I create mm. that? that feel of people walking into a show and and having a different theater experience man but i know what you mean because i think i was there when the second uh mesoga production took place at ulibaya so i know what you i know exactly what you mean in in the differences of being an audience member and experiencing a play and how that changes depending on the venue the venue Yeah. yeah man so it'll be the shows are only in the night because of course if it's creepy and spooky it should be in the night um the 26th 27th and 28th of october are our dates so that's i believe thursday friday and saturday if those dates don't line up don't blame me i don't have the sheet in front of me i'm sorry um tickets are going on sale for around 60 kina and 30 kina for children um because it's very limited seating Mm. so there's only around 70 or uh, 70 75 seats uh in the dance studio and so it's very limited seating very very intimate very up in your face and uh it's 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 going to be a good show um so yes the dates are the 26th 27th and 28th of october the show starts at 6 p.m and goes till 9 30 perfect for around like halloween season Mm -hmm. but also coming off of this independence uh celebration it's like oh it's it's also a celebration of um what our culture what our cultural superstitions are, which mm-hmm. is something that, although I think people, like, would you celebrate that? I think it's something that's important and significant because it does inform, and you'll see that in the show, it does inform what our beliefs are today. It does inform um, how we treat certain issues today. Now, I actually wanted to talk about uh, a bit about Next Studios. I, re- I remember when you came onto the show last time, it was fairly new. I think you had just started yeah. that year. So. Yeah, so we'd be how, three yeah. years old. How, how have the past two, three years been? It, it's been interesting because I, you know, like as, as a creative, you don't see yourself as a business person. Um, and then you have to be a business person in order to get into rooms and get jobs. Um, and I think it's just so interesting navigating that. And for when I started Next Studios, it was really, really honestly just, just myself. Um, and now I have a really small team, but a very good and efficient team um, who are really great sounding boards for me, who are also really good at their jobs that they do, but also who are also learning in the space. Um, and I guess we're all learning in this space and being a leader of a team who, that is small. There's, there's only like four of us mm-hmm. and we are a small team, but being a leader in that space. And I remember when I, uh, I remember my staff when I gave them their first jobs um, 
and I paid them that first sort of like salary from that job and it was just amazing because the first job that we did was or what the first job we did as a team was performing for Prime Minister Albanese at the um at the state function dinner Mm -hmm. so we did a poetry in motion performance and and that was highlight right because like get to perform in front of two prime ministers um have you know just all these delegates watching you um and and them call your name that you're responsible for directing and and writing that and and that was like the biggest gig we did and then to come off that and to be able to just pay people you know pay artists pay my staff is something that's so big to me you know and and something that makes me feel so good and so with knack and also now increasing our social media presence this is the first year we're on facebook honestly it's like three four months since we've been on facebook and getting that following because we've done work Mm -hmm. you know we've we've done work and now that following from my personal accounts has switched over to the NAC account to, to see what officially is going on. Um, you're in the Instagram account, you know, and we've done so much work collaboratively. Um, you know, like even the new Black Python movie that's mm-hmm. coming out, we did the casting for that. I did casting with um, Ziggy Yominal, who's this amazing like director, but also a, he's an amazing acting coach. And so we did the talent casting, and he did all the talent training. And it's it's amazing to be in those spaces, get people paid. Um, and sometimes there is a lot of like stress in running an SME. You know, like. Or, or running a business because it's it's how, where do where does that next lot of income come mm. from? Um, where who's doing events and how do we partner with people and the the independent shows like Hope That Haunts You and and all the other independent shows that we do sometimes that doesn't make enough money mm-hmm. and and it's from the sponsorship it's from the ticket sales it's from um, the corporate gigs and the corporate mm-hmm. clients that were able to do shows to or able to sustain the business so it's a it's a fun business model because i fun doesn't make money but you know it does in some sense but fun it's a fun business model because i think you don't know what to expect every job is new every mm. job is different but also it is a tough business model you need to be tough as nails to walk into a room full of corporates who want to do an event that sometimes don't know what they want except that they have the word different in mind Mm -hmm. and and they want to be different and you as a creative have to think on the spot okay what is different what can i provide that's different um and even when when working with big event event uh companies being able to work with those bosses like i i have worked with some of the most amazing bosses in those spaces like you know, uh, Sylvia Pasco, like Jelena Tamate, um, and, and those are only to name like two, right? But getting those, getting in those spaces and applying yourself professionally, not only as sort of like uh, a business person, mm-hmm. but as an artist. How do you, as an artist, professionally market yourself to that space? And so it's been really interesting to see the growth and 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 see how much support. Because like I said, we've only gotten on Facebook just recently. Mm-hmm. And to see that support and see 
people that are, that have seen my work and know what my work and know the quality of my work switch over to follow Knack Studios and, and, and share the stuff and share the contact. It's really heartwarming and it's also heartwarming to provide opportunity for artists. Man, yeah, because I have to say it's 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 like you're it's like you're part of this new wave of now, I guess, recognition of PNG productions and PNG. I don't want to say entertainment, but I guess PNG sort of shows and events yeah. and experiences that are being provided. It's like I go back ten years ago. I don't remember PNG stories or art. I mean, visual arts, sure, but yeah. never anything. Never anything aside from like you know cultural singing and dances. Like uh, initially, I'd always thought that like that's where it would stop, but now it's like there's just more exposure of the different kinds of art yeah. and experiences that PNG artists can yeah. showcase. Yeah, and you'll find that there's a lot of Papua New Guinean artists who have worked in that space that just are really unsung heroes, I guess, mm. because they they didn't have the resources to start their own SME. Um, they didn't have the resources to to sort of kick into gear their own business. And a lot of those artists who are older now have those resources. And they're now, you know, registering themselves. They're registering mm. their companies. They're registering the fact that they can do theater. And I'm, I'm very lucky because I think I, I had the reputation coming into it very, very early on in, in my career as an artist, um, which has helped me immensely because sort of people know of me in, in that space. Um, but there are some of these amazing artists who, like, like Nadia Paraskos, mm-hmm. who I was talking about, who have done so much work, so much work, but always did them under an event company, always did them under, uh, you right. know, like yeah. uh, under or, or four different mm-hmm. cl- clients and only now have started their businesses. And, and it's so it's so cool to see because we're still working with those event companies. We're still creating performance, but now we're doing things independently. We're trying to create performances independently. Man. You know, it's definitely exciting times and it's a great opportunity for those who are more creatively inclined or those who either want to be on stage or have had experience on stage or just want to do more. It's like, this is like the perfect time to be around and be, uh, participating in these kinds of things mm, yeah man now andrew in the beginning of the the interview you mentioned that this year you put out uh for the first time uh on stage production of uh letters for bradley yeah from. and letters from bradley apologies now and this is actually the third part and final installment of what you are now calling the pearly shells trilogy and for yeah. those who don't know or have never seen any of the shows could you just explain what what that what is? What the pearly shells? <laughs> so the pearly shells trilogy came about. I it's sort of all my social justice pieces. So here's Victor. Is the first play in the pearly shells trilogy. It's about HIV and uh, tuberculosis and the stigma surrounding those diseases, as well as the LGBTQ plus community, um, and the the stigma and discrimination surrounding that community. Um, and then the second play is For My Father, which is a play about grief and loss and the house cry, um, sort of our culture of having a house mm-hmm. cry and that system and, and how that works. And it really asks a question, okay, if, if you're poor, how can you do a house cry? 
Mm. Um, especially if your family doesn't come to support you because they didn't like the person that died. Um, and so that's, you know, like that's a social construct that I guess we're all, we're all tethered to. I wouldn't say mm. trapped by, but tethered to because it's a responsibility. Um, and then Letters from Bradley, which is the last play in that installment, is about gender-based violence and the generational impacts of gender-based violence. So what... Basically, the sins of the father become the sins of the son um, and just looks at gender based violence in a holistic view, which I guess not only look at ways of prote- protecting a victim and preventing violence, but also how do we help men get better? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called the Pearly Shells trilogy because Pearly Shells is an old Hawaiian hymn um, that my grandma used to sing to me. Um, and she still sings to me. Um, and Pearly Shells is in all three of those mm-hmm. shows. And so um, when we were doing it, when we were performing and, and creating the production for the for March, where we had all the performances back to back to back, um, we coined the term the Pearly Shells trilogy. Someone was calling it the Andrew verse, but I was like, hey, hey, look, I don't want to be that vain. Um, so we called it the Pearly Shells trilogy and it, we officially titled it the Pearly Shells trilogy. Um, yeah, and, and it's some of the work that I'm most proud of. Um, I've written four plays, so like Mesoga mm-hmm. being one of them and my most earliest play, but these these three plays are something that I'm really proud of and really just define the body of my work from when I was like, oh, when I was 18 to Mm. now 23 and now moving into new work. Yeah, because I had my birthday right in the middle of that Ah. month. And so it was really about like, okay, yes, this is me now closing a chapter of, of, of stories that I want to tell and looking at new stories. That being said... A lot of, like, he is Victor for my father and Letters from Bradley Mm -hmm. have been restaged recently for corporate Mm -hmm. clients, but also for community outreach. So World Vision, thank you, World Vision, love you, World Vision, Um, World Vision, PNG, and UNFPA, again, UNFPA, um, (laughs) came together to put up a performance of over two days of He is Victor Mm -hmm. for their staff and their communities and, and... it's so nice seeing seeing the impact of those shows. Um, yeah. yeah. And For My Father is going to become a short film. Um, yeah. yeah. Wait, yeah, what? Yeah. <laughs> for My Father is going to become a short film and we're soon to be in production for, for that. Um, I won't officially, officially announce it. I can just say it. I just spoiler, truth bomb, mic drop, whatever it is. Um, but I won't officially announce it until like everything's settled. You know who you are. Uh, but yeah. Um, and of course, with letters from Bradley, um, getting a lot of traction in terms yeah. of gender-based violence being something that's very relative. Um, and yeah, and we're getting a lot of work from that. It's I say it's work. And, and, you know, the money component is something, you know, it keeps me afloat. It keeps a lot of my artists, you know, fed and, and, and mm-hmm. I appreciate it. But really, the work is all emotional. The work is all spiritual. The work is all for communities that are being affected. And, you know, looking at those three plays and being able to get work off of them, but also 
work in those spaces where you know that you are making an impact mm-hmm. and you and you're changing behavior or that you're starting conversations about those issues is something that my team all my actors um, my small knack team and and the people that I partner with like uh, focus marketing solutions and and dare to create um, that we just are forever grateful for because it's it, that's our responsibility as artists is to just tell the truth and and tell stories mm-hmm. and it's so rewarding not only you know business wise but rewarding when you do a show i'm gonna get emotional Ooh. um it's so rewarding when you do a show and have people crying or or very emotional or sometimes even very angry mm. coming up to you and and saying like i i watched that do i think some of it is enjoyable yes but but a lot of it is yeah why mm. <laughs> yeah man i think because i remember the first time i watched she is victor it wasn't it was it was definitely something or it covers a topic that not a lot of people want to talk about and i think that's that's a common theme that runs through your like that trilogy is that it's always about something or there's aspects in the story where it it covers topics that people just aren't comfortable talking about and i think uh i I remember thinking uh, uh especially with the for my father uh, production. I remember. I think I was. I was there. I was there during yeah, yeah. the arts activism. I had you a little hear stall. all the screaming and crying, <laughs> and fighting from the inside. Yeah. I remember uh, what to call watching the second show. Or not watching the second, but while letters for my letters for my father. While, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> while yeah. for my father was on, uh, the number the guests were coming in, and I noticed a lot of expatriates coming in as well. And I can only imagine uh, how they experienced it because. Uh, something interesting about the For My Father production is that you didn't have it in the main theater space. You had it in the foyer and the way it was positioned was like how people would be sitting when they would attend a house cry. And I can only yeah. imagine what that experience was like for people who have never been to yeah. or experienced the house cry. Yeah, I, it's it's so... Cause it's, it, death is a cross-cultural thing, mm-hmm. right? But a house cry is very significant to Papua Guineans, you know, like I guess the Western equ- equivalent of it is a wake, yeah. right? But, you know, a house cry is very specific. You have very, and especially in regards to your culture, then it becomes even more specific mm-hmm. um, uh, in terms of where you're from. And, Oh, there were people that wanted to like get up from their seat and leave. But the thing is that the play for my father is forty minutes, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it, you don't have a break in between. So right. you just sit there for forty minutes as you watch this family argue and tear itself apart because of the death of their dad. And there were people that wanted to get up and join the fight. There were people that wanted to get up and stop the fight. There were people that would were very vocal that was sitting there and you know a character would say something they were like mm-hmm, yes and i and you you as an actor because we're this close mm-hmm. to the audience and you as an actor you have to like hear it but not hear it and there were so many instances where like i would try my best to because i'd i'd be doing a very emotional scene and i'd pick up a cup and i'd be like don't throw it because you throw it and you'll hit an audience member and one night it did um yeah but she was very nice but it it was just like the the cup hit her and water splashed but it wasn't that much water but she was like i was just happy it was water i was just happy it was water. i was like yes yes exactly um but yeah and so like death is such a and, and i think that's a 
integral part of the three of these plays um, mm, is that there is a yeah. lot of death and loss and, and grief, but death is such a cross-cultural thing. And that's what makes those plays so relatable to everyone uh, across the board, whether they're Papua New Guinean or not. People can sit and watch, and, and especially with those themes, a lot of those themes are, are things that are cross-cultural cross-cultural um even with the lgbtq plus issues in he is victor that's something that still gets discussed mm. in, in the western world and, and i think people like to say oh they're pushing an agenda but there's as much pushback there uh, and as much conversation there um in the, in those in those societies and so presenting that isn't the problem you know it's the conversation that comes after and i just want to say that i i personally feel like like, like I remember I, I mentioned earlier that I was there for every single night. Can I just say? And I, and I noticed the audience reactions and I could hear the audience reactions. So I'll just say that the very last play was probably the most, not extreme, but the escalation of, I guess, drama and emotions and the themes in the story was... Like, it just climbed so far. Yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking, and, and then I remember... Uh, um, for those not knowing what we're talking about, we're talking about call, letters, from, letters Bradley. from Bradley, and it was—I wasn't even in the audience. Like I was experiencing You're it out, outside. outside the theater. I could hear all the lines. I could hear the audience's reactions, and I could see the reactions on their face when they come out for the intermission. Uh, yeah, intermission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. intermission. Intermission, the and then they're just, and then they're like, I remember seeing the hesitation on their faces when they had yeah, to go Yeah, they're like, do do we two. want to go back in for Act Two? I, it's yeah, and and I. Letters from Bradley as a play is just told in this. I can't really, you know, spoil it, but it's told in a way that, yes, it is a gender based violence story. It has all the information, all the tropes that you'd expect in a gender based Mm -hmm. violence story, but it's told in a really. It's told in. It's told across three different timelines. That's what Mm -hmm. I can say. And so. That's what makes it interesting for an audience is is sitting and piecing stuff together, um, and and when the coin drops and when the audience figures it out, they're always like, oh, you have this collective gasp across the room mm-hmm. because they like, like they figured it out, and that's what makes that entertainment portion of of that. Um, that being said, yeah, it's 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 the longest play. It's two yeah. hours thirty minutes, um, whereas for my father is um, forty minutes and. Uh, what is it? Uh, he is Victor is an hour 30. But Letters from Bradley is two hours and 30 minutes of mystery and uh, and misdirection and mm-hmm. a- and trying to just figure out uh, who Bradley is mm-hmm. and, and what Bradley is and, and, and what makes Bradley a violent man. Man, I think everything about the production is very... I guess confronting. I have a lot of I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends who were in the production. A lot of friends came to see the production as well. And the way the subjects and storyline and the plot and everything to do with the story affected them was very interesting to see as well. Like coming from my perspective of uh, someone who's also working on something creative and writing, getting into writing as well, it was very interesting to see how uh, a piece of art can very very like emotionally affect someone and i thought that that was very interesting especially with um 
with the subject matter that's covered. I mean, I had friends who were visibly angry. <laughs> they were angry at uh, uh, at, at, at the yeah. man at, at the man himself too. Bradley, oh, yeah. Oh man. Oh. They were even in myself. Like I can, I, I, I'll admit that even though I was outside, the the way the performances were done is that it sounds like a real it sounds as real as possible as to what an actual oh, yeah. we were we were rehearsing and we would have the guards running up yeah. because they thought that we were getting attacked or there was a fight yeah. inside and it's like that's a testament to the actors firstly because they're brilliant that cast is brilliant um and it wow um it's a testament to them but it's i think also Papua New Guineans, especially when we see a fight, we run towards it. Mm. And I, I think that's also, and dare I say it, I think that's also the appeal of Letters from Bradley. Because, yes, there is mm. violence in the show, but we're so used to watching violence. But the thing about having looking at the audience and the audience reaction is, usually they don't know who's being beat up. Mm-hmm. But in the play, you you are introduced to those characters, those women who are being abused. You're introduced to them. You understand their motives. Um, you're introduced to the perpetrator. You know who the you know who Bradley is, mm-hmm. and so it gets very personal very fast. And I am not sorry. Like I'm not sorry for any of it. I'm not sorry for any. Uh, triggering that happens because you see it in your everyday life already Mm -hmm. you are already desensitized to it why is my work more triggering it's because now you know now you have empathy for those characters that you would never otherwise see or that you'd never otherwise care about And, and that's that is the, my best achievement as an artist the best achievement as as an artist for me is having people watch my shows I think like you know over a thousand people have watched my shows now and making people feel affected from my work that's my highest achievement man oh yeah no yeah and as someone like i said i observed and i saw everything happen a lot of people were affected some people had to step out some people left at the intermission and i think i remember when i was there's i'm not gonna say any spoilers but there's a point where things ramp up and it gets very loud Mm. and to a point that it sounds very very real Mm. like there was a point where i couldn't sit down because uh in my own experience of dealing with things like that i'm usually like like the security guard in that situation how do i go and help like my 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 in my instincts i wanted to just stand up i didn't know why but i couldn't i couldn't sit down and just like listen to the rest of the play like how i had been for the past hour it's like and then it's such a slow burn to it doesn't get real until it gets Mm. real and i it's yeah yeah and uh, you know sometimes i'm i I, people are like please write happier stuff write happier shows and I'm happy to announce that I do have happier shows coming um, Mm -hmm. and I can announce that here but it's just how sometimes I feel really bad that we can be happy when there are people that are suffering Um, and that's I guess that's that's a bit of a sad attitude to have but if if everyone can feel empathy for everyone just a little bit of understanding and a, show a little bit of kindness to everyone everyone will be happy and mm. and it's it's a 
it's just a real treat to make audiences feel as though they need to do something. And I, within my power as an artist, like, I'll be honest, I, I probably, you know, won't get up in the morning to go and, and march, you know, I, 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 that's not within my capacity mm. to do. Um, I probably will, you know, sign a petition or, or, or sometimes if, if there is violence going on, I, I don't know how to deal with it. You know, I don't know how to, I won't run into the line of fire. Mm-hmm. That's just me. I mean, I'll get beat up <laughs> on a side note, but, but that my way of dealing and my way of helping is by telling the stories of the people who it's affecting. And that's my biggest, um, my biggest contribution when it comes to talking about those issues. Mm-hmm. Man, well, I can definitely say for sure that one thing people can't say about your show is that they're boring. Oh, thank you'll God. Never, you'll thank never God. hear anybody thank say God. that. Oh. Yeah. Man, because with He is Victor, it built such a understanding of who Victor is. And then with For My Father, you have all these different characters feeling about this one character yeah. you don't meet. Who you don't meet. You <laughs> never meet the dad. You never meet the dad in For My Father. Which is why as a film, um, I love talking about it because it's, it's going to be a film. Um, but which is why as a film, it's so interesting because I'm currently in that scripting stage. Mm-hmm. I need to finish that scripting stage. I, I love you. Uh, person, producer, uh, producers. Um, but you know it's it, with a film for for my father you could do so much and tell so much and you could actually play with meeting the father and 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 seeing the father mm-hmm. but it's always going to be through the perspective of the characters it's always going to be through the bias of the characters so the different characters you have five siblings in that in that play who are all different who all have different memories and that's why you know being being in there it's 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 a different because mm. you depending on who you who you like or who you relate to you'll have that understanding of the dad because you'll have mm. their viewpoint rather than the other siblings man because i i haven't seen it and i wanted to ask is the entirety of the play one night in the house crying? yeah okay so okay. the entirety of the play it's it's um so it's set almost like right before the house cry. Like mm-hmm. it, it's the way it's the audience is invited in is as if they're in a house cry, but it's set one night before the house cry. And what happens is uh, Michael, who is the eldest uh, and half half sibling, he he comes in from Australia and mm-hmm. and he has all the money to do what his dad wants and and so all the kids are sort of like he can pay for what dad wants um but of course that whole night it's just a debate about whether they should do stuff or not and and where and trying to convince him to do stuff or not um and death is such a relatable thing Mm. that that even you know the cost of death the cost of death in in this country, right? Mm, yeah. To get a to get a plot at Nine Mile, to get a, ca- a coffin or a coffin. casket, to cremate, you know, all, all those decisions. That and that's just and that's just everything to do with the actual yeah. person that yeah. died. We're and not then you have the house cry. Yeah. Then you have okay, how do we get the food? And sometimes the house cry will pay for itself because people will come and contribute. Mm-hmm. But you do have relatives that that come to mourn. That that 
can't contribute because so. of their financial situation. And so then how do you do that? And how mm-hmm. do you do those things? And a lot of people, and what's addressed in the play is that a lot of people, um, when when someone dies, there's a repatriation of the body back to you know yeah. their original you know place. If it's Milimbe, it's the, the village, right? And the costs that come with that, the costs that come to trying try to bury someone in the village is so someone like, going with yeah, the body someone go- yeah. or the whole family going yeah. with the body them having to meet and say which one is our land kill a pig make a kai kai for the whole village you know and it's like those things cost money mm. and when you don't have that money how do you operate um but also when you don't like the person that's died how do you grieve because you you're essentially grieving over over the you're not grieving over the loss of that person you're grieving over the missed opportunity to make it right with that person whether it be the person who's who's died their fault mm-hmm. or yours um and it's that just, just yeah I, I trigger people i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> man I think that's one thing I wanted to ask in terms of your writing and everything you do is that is, is there ever really a line or a point where you're like, okay, maybe I won't push it this far, but I still want to affect them, but I'm not going to push it this far. Do you ignore that line sometimes? I, I don't. I cross the line so that I can mm-hmm. work my way back. Um, that's ah, what I do. Okay. Um, so sometimes I'll write it a certain way. And and you have to remember that writing it sometimes won't always translate to stage. Yeah. Um, so if I have a scene, if I have a scene where... Um, say someone is getting stabbed, right? Mm-hmm. Writing that, you know, he gets stabbed 24 times, right? Writing that is different from directing it um, and, and the visual aspect of that and seeing, okay, mm-hmm. and even like stuff like where does the blood spatter come from? How do we make it so that he actually looks like he's dying with with that tiny little like nuance that the audience doesn't have to like mm. be like running up to help him um and i think i always cross the line and then work my way back i never i'm not fearful of the boundary um there's some boundaries where you you sort of go that you're bordering inappropriate or mm-hmm. you're bordering uh graphic and gruesome just for the for sake, the sake of, of it, it yeah. yeah um and i i will cross that just to come back from it um, and that's why you have really, really good editors and actors and, and people who can read your work and go, that's too much. Um, the people who can read your work and go, that's heavy, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I have a great team of actors that can read something and go, why? Why? Why are you doing this? And, wow. and, and sometimes when an actor reads it and they're fully traumatized, then I know, oh, okay work it back mm. um but yeah and and also when you're performing you have to also when i'm writing it's different because when i'm writing i'll cross a line when i'm directing there i'm very clear where the line is um because when i'm writing it's it's about the expression because mm-hmm. they reading it is different you know what i mean yeah. so if someone just picks it up and reads it aside like for he is victor for example it's a book so the lines are crossed in that book, you know, mm-hmm. because it needs to be as visceral. It needs to right. have the impact. Because of the medium. Exactly. Yeah. But whereas then when you come into the play, right, it's it's sort of like, okay, 
where are the boundaries here? Not only with yourself, but with your team. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big advocate for making sure that sets are safe. Sets are safe. There are no trigger zones. Um, and, and sometimes that that's for me as a director. Other directors are like method act, you know. And I'm like, no, no, <laughs> not with these plays, oh, please. Um, but you know, we always have conversations in the cast, and sometimes those lines can be crossed, mm-hmm. and and we always check ourselves after and be like hey, I wasn't comfortable with the way mm-hmm. that you touched me tonight. That, that wasn't okay. I wasn't comfortable. Hey, you almost hit me and I was genuinely scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and having those conversations of even like, um, oh, hey, Daniel, is it okay if, like even if it's not a fight scene, but it's an intimate yeah. scene and, and, and we're friends, like even just friends, right? Hey, Daniel, in the scene, is it okay if I hold your hand? Mm-hmm. And having that conversation and if the actor says no, that's their line you don't cross it mm-hmm. uh, not only as another actor but then as a director you're mindful of everybody you could have 20 people not only in the cast but you could have another 20 people in the crew and you are mindful of everybody's line uh, lines and where they're crossed you're mindful of oh is this person comfortable with doing this particular job um are they okay with lifting that heavy thing and you're mindful and mm-hmm. then you just place and place and place and so there's a lot of work that goes into just that understanding of making a set safe. Like our job is to trigger the audience, not ourselves. You know, our job is to affect the audience, not ourselves. When the performance is done, an actor switches off. When the performance is done, the director mm-hmm. switches off. And we're, or when the you know, scene's done, the director makes their notes, but it's all for the purpose of affecting the audience, not for the purpose of affecting ourselves. Any actor that starts to, um, you know, like really affect them themselves, I always just get very scared. And I always mm. start to be like, hey, let's work it back now. You've obviously crossed some lines in a rehearsal that weren't okay, that aren't okay. Um, is it a place that you needed to go for the character? I think so. But now let's work it back. Mm-hmm. Now that you know what that feeling is like, how do we do it safely? Man. And with all my productions, mm-hmm. it's the same conversation. Uh, it's like, hey, how do we do this safely? How do we choreograph this fight so that nobody gets hurt? And, I, you know, there are lots of instances, like even with me, and I'd like, I, I have these conversations with my actors or with myself, but even with me, where like, I'll be in a fight scene and the other actor that I'm beating mm-hmm. up is genuinely scared. And, and we can't stop it because we're on stage. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's really, it's, a, it's a delicate task and, and uh, for an actor, but for a director and for everyone on set. Man, oh, you know, I can I can understand that with the subject matter of your plays, yeah. Ugh. Man. I think I was going to ask, have there ever been an... I think you already covered that with the actors talking about what lines they won't cross, but I guess I wanted to ask if there was ever an instance where an actor was like, I'm not comfortable. I'm, I'm sure that's happened, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Lots of actors have said, hey, I'm not comfortable um, with saying that line... Or I'm not comfortable with the way that he's said that line to me, mm-hmm. you know, even stuff like that. Um, and it's always about having conversations because it's a job. It's a job and and being professional in the space means communicating. Um, a lot of the times when you do theater unsafely, it's because you haven't had the conversation prior. Mm-hmm. You haven't had the conversation about 
you, you know, oh, I'm I'm playing a guy who's like a, a womanizer and, and and thinks of ladies in that way, but you don't have the conversation with the the actress mm. that you're with, and then she feels uncomfortable, and it's like, oh no, everything is a conversation, mm-hmm. um, and and that's just for me. I mean, other people, I, I'm not. I don't like triggering my actors. I, I mm. do that already with the script when they get it right, but I don't like doing things unsafely um you need to be able to have the rules and and you need to be able to have the conversations especially if you're playing characters who are womanizers or 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 um even you know some people because of their religion won't play Mm -hmm. a character who's gay won't play a character who um even like some of the smallest things like won't play a character that you know is is eating pork in the scene, mm-hmm. you know, and and you you respect that and you acknowledge that, and sometimes sometimes it becomes too much for an actor, and you go, thank you for your time. I don't think this will be right for mm. you. Would you be interested in another role? Or would you be interested in in doing something backstage or or you know? And and actors themselves will know when it's time to tap out. Mm. Um, and I haven't had anyone like quit on me right before the show but i've had instances where an actor's gone actually i i Mm. I can't do this and i'm i'm very respectful that they've even considered it because it is a big task Mm. man i think i remember when letters from bradley was showing i remember i was actually concerned about the actor's more, more than the audience, I was concerned yeah, about yeah. the actors because it was such a long play and because of the frequency mm. of the plays, especially on the matinee days yeah. when there was the midday showing and the nighttime showing. And also audiences are just... Papua Guinean audiences are weird. because, <laughs> And I say that... Define, define weird. I say that... I say that knowing that I'm going to cop some flack, but um, it's very telling when an audience laughs at a serious subject. It's oh, very I telling. I know what you mean. Um, we were doing He is Victor, and there were, oh, I want to say it, but I won't say it. Um, there was a group of people uh-huh. um, who were just laughing at the the fact that, you know, someone found out that they had HIV, mm-hmm. and it shows who they are. And I remember after that performance, I walked out, and the cast were very angry. The cast didn't want to bow. And I said, Mm. no, we are professionals. We have showed them who they are. And the cast went out bowed. And I asked the cast to stay on stage. And I I gave a speech. um, And I said, hey, thank you all for coming. You just laughed at a person who has HIV. That community is in the room and is probably sitting next mm-hmm. to you. You just laughed at a person who is in the LGBTQ plus community. That community is in the room and mm-hmm. is sitting next to you. You just laughed at a person that's lost their life from TB. Mm-hmm. There are people in this room who have relatives who have lost their life from tuberculosis, and you have laughed at that. That is a great social experiment because it showed me who you are. Mm. And I left the stage and I remember that particular group just not talking to me afterwards. <laughs> and I was very happy. 
I was very happy because I think art is confronting and people laugh when they're uncomfortable, especially Papua New Guinean audiences. They laugh when they're uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and that can throw an actor off if they're being serious and if they're yeah. crying. But it, it comes with the job and it comes with the territory, especially when you do community theater or, or even commercial theater because audiences react differently. Um, and that's the, that's the challenge is the more, the more we do theater in the space, the more audiences will be used to seeing it and it won't be something that they consider pretend or funny, mm. um, especially when you're dealing with sensitive topics. But it's, you know, if, if you're watching, it's disrespectful when there is a performance that's serious. Yeah, it's supposed to be. And you laugh yeah. at it. Yeah. But it does, it does just show who you are. It shows what type of person you are. And, it, and it, with anything, it just shows... It, sh- it tells me a lot about you. And I sometimes I actually really revel in that. I revel in the fact that I can, I can say, mm, there's something really wrong with you if you can laugh at a woman getting beat up. There's mm. something really wrong with you if you can, if you can laugh es- at someone dying. Especially like how you mentioned earlier with the context you know these characters. These aren't yeah. strangers that you yeah. stumbled. Like you're on your phone and you scroll yeah. and you watch this yeah. video. These are people that you've been introduced to. Yeah, no. Mm. Mm. So it's a great social experiment that we conduct with these plays. Um, but also you find because, you know, when you're doing it in the auditorium, the lights are off on the audience. So you can't see who's reacting. Mm. You can't see. They, they, they feel safe. They feel safe because if I laugh... Oh, it doesn't matter because no one sees me. It's just coming from this general direction. And I love it because I know who they are, you know. Whereas with, you know, other circumstances, when an audience is really close to you, they won't do it. They won't do it. They'll be too confronted. Um, but I like it. It's, it's a nice job. It's, it's a nice job to sort of go, haha, you know. It's a nice experiment. And I can only imagine the types of reactions and... I guess on the spot reviews or just reactions from audience members. I mean, obviously, you've, I'm I'm sure you've uh, heard all the across the spectrum of negative yeah, and positive. Yeah, we collected it. We collected it. Yeah. Man, gosh. I think the last question I wanted to ask you, Andrew, is that I think it's been about two years since you were on the show, and I wanted to ask: Has anything changed in how? you now approach and write your stories now in these two years has your method changed in any way yeah i think in terms of the writing um it's it's been a real process i i will be very frank about it i've been i've been sober for five months now and it's been a very interesting process because i used to i used to have a very unhealthy process when it came to writing I, I would need to sometimes get very drunk to, to write, to pen something. And now I don't do that anymore. Now I can write stuff that are heavy um, uh, in a, in a, from a sober place. But not only from a sober place, but from a place of like actual just genuine health in my mm. emotional state. Um, so yeah, I used to have a very... And, it, and I was young too. And I was writing these plays where, you know, about very serious topics. But I've come out of that and and found a space where I can have these conversations and have these ideas and and write stuff and and feel happy about it. Um, 
genuinely just feel just feel like I'm doing good work rather than traumatizing myself when I write. Um, and I don't I don't traumatize myself when I write, but you get what I mean? Yeah. Um, so yeah, and so I've I've had to I've had to do a lot of work and it also comes with just growing up, I guess. It's it didn't about two years ago I was twenty one, mm-hmm. right? And now being twenty three, people I think people tend to see you in the same light as you were in the as when you were twenty one or eighteen or whichever. But I've done a lot of work to write from a place of health, firstly, like I was saying, but also write in and research how to do stuff in different styles, um, how to do stuff for theater in the round, how to mm. do stuff and play with the writing conventions and looking at different performances and different scripts and going, yeah, how can I write something that's inspired by that or takes that idea and mm-hmm. takes that idea and develop something unique and new that's 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 Andrew or that's Knack for that for that matter. Um and so it's then it's also trickled down into the to the creative process as well where I I find that I'm a lot like you know, we were talking about safety. Like mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a lot more conscious of this now. I'm a lot more, I'm a lot more conscious of of that. Whereas before, I'd just like, oh, it's just, just it's just a play. Mm-hmm. No, it's not. Um, and so that's, I guess, where that that real like sense of yeah, a real sense of um, growth has come from. And I'm I'm happy that I can say that I'm. I'm writing from those places now, which which are informing the work. There are happier stuff to come, um, but also that I can write stories like letters from Bradley, like he is Victor, like for my father, that are heavy and grounded, but coming from a place of you know genuine like like health and mm. and not in in a state of you know trying to now pain. Man, no, that's very good to hear. I'm actually glad that like you've uh, matured in a way in, in both how you approach the writing and how you are in life right now. That's honestly very good to hear. But Andrew, thank you so much for your time. I thank think we've you. come to the end of the episode. And before we go, uh, just remind the good people what you have happening. Yes, yeah, so Hope That Haunts You is the show coming up in October. The dates are the 26th, 27th, and 28th of October. I'm really hoping those are the correct dates because I'm, yeah. But the 26th, 27th, and 28th of October are the dates for Hope That Haunts You. And yeah, it'll be a good show. Tickets will be on sale soon. And so follow the NAC facebook page or the knack instagram page if you want to see more updates oh we're all always constantly having gigs and um and opportunities for actors or performers who just want to start out um and that page is always open message it and so yeah awesome well once again andrew thank you so much for your time and yeah that has been this episode of the new net podcast thank you so much for watching and we'll see you in the next one thank you